This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk. Back again with you guys for another episode of what is the Arsenal Transfer Show. Join you every morning at 8 a.m. UK time. Hope you're doing good. Hope you're doing well. Hope you had a fantastic weekend and ready to start your first proper week of 2023. Now, thankfully, we are going to be buoyed by the fact that Arsenal are playing very early on. Uh, tomorrow evening, in fact, against Newcastle in what is billed as being one of the biggest games of the season, of course, so far mainly due to where Newcastle are, but mostly, well, not mostly, because I've just said mainly, but partly because, of course, where Arsenal are in the table. I suppose probably that's the better way of of looking at it. Um, But good morning to everybody joining us live in the chat box as well. Hope you're doing good. Hope you're well. Carl Brewster, Amira, Kaiser, uh, Benjamin and Stevie. Uh, We've got Steve Stone, Mr. Arsenal, Steve and Jose uh, Benayam. Uh, Perez, Red Star, Paget. Uh, we've got uh, Morgi, Manu, Harvey, Lynn, Temi, Machiavelli, and uh, Vivian as well. Good morning to all of you. I hope you've had a fantastic weekend. Uh, do drop a like on the video. Do subscribe to the channel if you are new. Just going to turn this down. Feels like my mic has been very loud this morning. Um, and of course, if you haven't already got involved uh, in any of the chats in the chat box or the comments down below. Make sure you leave your thoughts and feelings about anything that goes on in today's show. It's always good. I try and read through as many of the comments in the shows as I feasibly can. So absolutely do indeed get involved. Now, uh, we did yesterday our Raw Reaction podcast to Arsenal's 4-2 win over Brighton. I was joined by Mike and Drew and Sophie to talk all things Arsenal. And we went to a good amount of detail, uh, over an hour and a half, nearly an over, uh, nearly an hour and a half, uh, I think, worth of content in yesterday's podcast. So if you haven't yet already been able to give that a watch, make sure you do. Uh, we talked through the game, how amazing Mr. Erdegaard is, talked about Enketia, we talked about Mudrik, we talked about lots of different things. So if you haven't already given that a watch, make sure uh, you have a look at that and uh, indulge in yesterday, or say yesterday, the day before yesterday's victory. Uh, Now, moving on to yesterday's genuine results. Nottingham Forest drew 1-1 with Chelsea, whilst Aston Villa 
courtesy of a certain Emmy Buendia and Douglas Luiz, two players with their own Arsenal history, uh, helped Villa and Unai Emery to beat Spurs 2-0. It is quite funny. There's a lot of Arsenal, you know, feel about Villa. You've got Emmy Martinez in goal, Emi Buendia that nearly joined us, Douglas Luiz, who of course we we went for as well. Ollie Watkins is an Arsenal fan. And then they've got the former Arsenal head coach, Unai Emery, in charge of them as well. Uh, there is a lot of Arsenal. Uh, it's probably something I'm even forgetting uh, that's, that's part of the club as well. But uh, it was enjoyable uh, watching. And, and Callum Chambers, of course, as well, who's even there, former Arsenal player. Um, all of that combined uh, leads to just an even better and more salty defeat for Tottenham. Uh, and also it puts Arsenal into a position where I don't think we're even thinking about these two. You know, Chelsea drawing, I think it was Babs that tweeted yesterday that I saw his tweet. It was very well put, which was basically like Chelsea and Spurs dropping points. It doesn't feel the same because we're just on a different level to them. We're just thinking about different things. We're not in a race for top four. We're in a race for the title. Uh, it just doesn't really, it doesn't really feel the same, does it? It really doesn't feel the same, um, which is obviously fantastic to us because it means that we are eclipsing that. We are moving on from that and we don't really need to worry about that. A big morning and welcome to Rasmus Eklund in the chat who's joined up as a brand new member of the channel. Thank you so much for the kind support. Much appreciate, appreciate Rasmus. And I can already see uh, people giving you a very warm welcome as well in the chat box too. Now, this is how this leaves the table. Uh, Arsenal, of course, sitting at the moment on 43 points. Manchester City now seven behind. Uh, two further points behind them is Newcastle United. Manchester United 11 points behind uh, Arsenal in fourth and Spurs a rather large 13 points behind Arsenal having indeed played a game more. Now Arsenal's game in hand of course is that Manchester City clash that will happen in February. Uh, it'll be intriguing to see how that one plays out. Liverpool currently 15 points behind Arsenal and then we have to go even further back 18 points in fact to Chelsea whose West London rivals Fulham sit in seventh seventh place, also on 25 points. It is going to be very interesting to see who might claim that seventh spot. Will it be Chelsea? Will it be Brighton, Brentford, Palace or Chelsea? Uh, we'll have to see if they can win their race to seventh place this season. Um, moving on, and Antonio Conte spoke. We mentioned this a little bit in yesterday's uh, we mentioned this in yesterday's show uh, on the Raw Reaction Show, but I wanted to bring it up now for those that hadn't seen it. His quotes, I don't know if you've been able to, to read them, check them out, but they are some of the funniest quotes that I've seen from a, a Tottenham manager. He came out after the defeat to Aston Villa, which basically said that he wanted to be honest. He said he'd already spoken to the clubs about this, but he says that he wants the best for Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. And <laughs> he said... Tottenham fans deserve the best. Maybe to stay in fifth is the best. Maybe sixth, seventh, fifth or fourth is the best. I just loved that. Love, absolutely loved it. And, you know, a lot of us Arsenal fans kind of wanted to see this happen at Arsenal. I don't know why so many of us wanted this to happen. I think we can all look back on that now with the big mistakes. Some of us might say it's Spurs. For me, I think Antonio Conte's had a huge hand in the demise of the way that they play, in what they do, in the lack of creativity, in some of the signings they've made. I think it's been dire, you know, really. And no, no pun intended, but genuinely, I think it's been absolutely dire. And thank goodness we have Mikel Arteta. Um, 
I talked to Captain C and title chat with Martin Odegaard after the game uh, against Brighton at the weekend. You can read the article. I've left a link to it in the description uh, down below. Uh, but to give you some of the insights about what he said, I asked him in the moments now where he is captain and Arsenal are facing some tougher times. Like we go through new up, we get pegged back to 3-1, we go 4-1 up, we get pegged back to 4-2 and there's a bit of chaos at the end. I asked him how he, as captain, is trying to deal with these. And he says, just try to stay calm. It can always be a little bit of chaos when they score and two goals up and we know they have to score another one. So it's going to be even more chaos. It's about staying calm and keeping doing the same things. Keep being us, keep playing football. And I think we did that after the last goal to stay in the game, except for that goal that was cancelled. It was pretty controlled. I then kind of pushed a little bit further on his role as captain and whether wearing the Arsenal armband has made him even more vocal as captain. He says, I think I speak when I feel I have to speak. I always try to do the best for the team on the pitch. I'm living the game, so I'm very into the game and very focused on the game. I just try to do the best for the team and help everyone as much as possible. We know that Granit Xhaka is, of course, one of those more vocal leaders within the group, but I think you see Martin Odegaard being more vocal. I remember the the friendly we had against uh, AC Milan, if you remember, not so long ago, only a few weeks ago, and Odegaard was getting in the face of Tonali because he was really going in hard on some of Odegaard's teammates, and he was protecting them, and on a social kind of level. And I think that's an important aspect of being a captain. I also was a little bit cheeky and asked him whether he'd spoken to Erling Haaland about the potential title race between their two respective clubs. He says, no, not too much, to be honest. Yeah, just happy for him doing well, scoring goals for fun. He's smashing it. So very happy for him. A very diplomatic answer, of course. I wouldn't expect any less. But uh, I think maybe if he stopped scoring goals, it might make Odegaard a little bit uh, happier. In short, for those that are curious, very nice guy, very open to talking. And I was very, very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, gracious, not gracious. That's not the right words. Um, grateful. That's the word I'm looking for <laughs> for his time uh, at the end of the game to have a chat about things. So, yeah, very much indeed. Uh, really nice guy. First time I managed to speak to him. So it was a, a good experience. Uh, now, moving more on to transfers. Uh, Joao Felix's loan could potentially reach as high as 21 million euros as it enters, as Mark could describe, a decisive phase. Now, supposedly, uh, Atleti are now looking for a loan fee at around 15 million euros for just six months with a 6 million euro wage fully covered during that period as well. Now, it is said, uh, a number of outlets have said that Arsenal only want to pay a loan fee less than half of that 15 million, which I would be a lot more open to. I don't think even I can justify Arsenal spending upwards of 20 million euros on a player that they have no control over after six months. I think Arsenal need to be firm on this. Um, Yes, he's a good player. Um, but Arsenal will have no chance. I mean, not even no chance. They could certainly afford it, but I, I just can't see them going in and paying a level of money that high for a player like Joel Felix. I understand why they're asking for a silly amount of money because his value is upwards of 100 million to them. So for just six months of the remaining contract, of course, they might ask for a percentage of that. But what on earth do they... Who, who do they think is going to pay... 21 million euros for a player for six months that they have no option or obligation to buy on that contract. 
We'll keep you updated with this one, but it just seems the figures that Atleti are asking for are getting into absolutely ridiculous realms of craziness. Now, the headline story of the day is, according to Sport Arena, uh, Mudrik has now agreed a five-year Arsenal deal. Uh, Personal terms were never thought to be a problem, uh, and it's now Arsenal's incentive to go forward with yet another bid, as we talked about yesterday. Fabrizio Romano spoke about this and said that if Arsenal want to get hold of the player, that they need to be fast. Is expected that further talks are set to take place between the two clubs in the next couple of days to try and hash out a deal. There's been continual suggestions that Arsenal will have to pay upwards of 75 million euros. They don't really want to go beyond that 75 million euros to get this deal done. And I don't blame them. My understanding, as I've been telling you for some time now, is that they don't want Mudrik to become the record signing at the club. They want to avoid that being kind of part of um his his description you know when he comes to the club if he comes to the club they don't want a situation where he's constantly got kind of that label associated with him hopefully fingers crossed we still get this deal done the club are optimistic people seem confident that a deal indeed will be reached between the two teams and eventually this kind of war of attrition will end in the player moving to the club there has yes been this interest from chelsea however it is said that arsenal's work and efforts into this deal outreach that significantly and also it's a bit as Mike talked about yesterday you know if if Mudrick desperately wants Arsenal why is he going to choose to opt to move anywhere else during that window Uh, I I I agree with the, the, the the reports about Arsenal being confident I think Arsenal will hopefully in the end win this one out and bring the player in but they need to be more aggressive. We need to try and get this deal done as soon as possible. And fingers crossed we can do that. I know a few people in the comment sections of yesterday's podcast were asking, why is this taking so long? Why can we just watch Liverpool go and get Gakpo in a a matter of moments and then we're struggling to get Mudrik? Now, of course, the figures associated with the Mudrik deal are much higher than the the Cody Gakpo deal. But I think it's important to remember that there are a lot of moving parts of these types of things. You've got to think about structure of the deal, percentages, potential options, potential clauses in contracts, you know, relationships between the clubs, the intermediaries involved in this as well, the time it takes to have those conversations because there's more going on in the world of a football club than one transfer negotiation. Things take time. This is being played out very publicly, which makes it feel like it's going on it makes like it's Felix going on longer. You know, it makes it feel like it's going on for a really long time because we're updating ourselves on this every hour, every day. Whereas some deals that we just don't really hear about all the ins and outs of go on over a similar amount of time, but behind the scenes. So they, they perceive to be much faster than what this is. Let's just keep really being patient and hopefully, fingers crossed, we can get this deal done and over the line in the end. Uh, we're going to move to part two and your questions right after this. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. And the same goes at McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with Mook Delivery. Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
Now, um, I look forward, fingers crossed, hopefully, to uh, not seeing a meltdown. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I've noticed, and I, I'm very grateful for the amount of people that tune into these shows um, every single day, is uh, talking about kind of where the information of these reports come from. I try, as always, to tell you where they are coming from, as we talked about with the Joao Felix story, very much coming from Marca in Spain, this story on Mudrik coming from Sport Arena as well. Uh, and and I always try and tell you my thoughts and feelings about the stories that we report. I'm ultimately just giving you the news that's out there um, and, and packaging it up for you and then giving my thoughts and then taking your questions on them. Um, that's, that is all I can do and then give you my own understanding and my own information on these stories. As I've said, uh, before, my understanding on the Mudrick thing is that Arsenal don't want to exceed that £72 million they paid for Pepe. Regarding any direct links or into, into the transfer itself, I'm, I'm out of the know on this one. So I'm going off of what obviously everyone else is saying. <laughs> I can only apologise for that. Um, but I'm not going to tell you things that I personally don't know. I'm going to tell you what's being reported. And that's that. Um, but if you do indeed leave your questions in the comment section about, is this reliable? I'll give you the best option that I can. It was interesting listening to James talk about uh, James McNicholas on the last Askcast before today's comes out about reports and about whether sometimes reports are used to help or push a club to be faster. His understanding, and I, I agree with him, that a lot of reports do come from good faith. Sometimes information you receive is wrong. Sometimes things come through that just aren't accurate, but you report them because you are, you know, you report them in good faith, knowing that you've been told information that you believe to be true. Sometimes if I receive a bit of information, I just won't, I won't bring it up. I won't talk about it because I have my own doubts about it. And usually if I do get a bit of information, I'll try and double and even triple check or double or triple source that information to make sure that it is indeed true. I'm very sceptical about a lot of stuff, but if I report it, it's usually because it's either come from a very good place or I've double or triple sourced it before um, I personally report it and claim it from my own side of things. So I hope that gives you a little bit of insight into when I personally decide to tell you stuff. Uh, let's go to uh, Ronald, who says, Tillemans on the free or Sergei Milinkovic-Savage for 50, 60 million in the summer. Uh, Milinkovic-Savage. Uh, Francois says, somebody help me. Is Tom on already? I'm in Florida and cannot see him. Uh, refresh your stream, Francois. <laughs> I know you can't see me, so that doesn't help you at all. But uh, when you see this, just if that ever happens, and we have always started at eight, so refresh your stream and hopefully it will, will pop up. Um, Nightmare2518 says, uh, I think if Mudrick's deal keeps getting the price gauged, then they should focus on a flex midfielder like Tillemans and let Smith Rowe take over the wing role, then use Gabriel Martinelli as a nine. Um, I know that the price continues to be a challenge and a bit of a, an overruling stumbling block for a lot of people. I'm getting to that worrying Zobosla levels of obsession with Mudrik. And for those that have been long-time listeners of the channel would know exactly what I mean when I say that. For those that don't, I've tended to get quite, um, not obsessed, but passionate about, obsessed maybe, uh, about some players, uh, Marco Asensio in the past, Dominic Zobosla, of course. Um, and more recently now, Mikhailo or Mahalo Mudrik. Um, I think he would be perfect for these last six months of the season for what he can bring off the bench. I think he could then develop into potentially one of the best wide players on the continent. There really does feel as though this kid's got a, a talent pool that could really explode for us. And fingers crossed that is the case if he does indeed join us. Um, Simon, would you have Martin Odegaard's babies? I would. I mean, I'm going to leave that to you, Simon. You know, you you do you, mate. You do you. But I'm very, very happily married. So, uh, but 
I'm sure Martin would be very flattered to hear that. Um, <laughs> uh, Ife says the Ukrainian league may not be the highest level, but he has performed in the Champions League and for his country. We need to stop this unproven talk. You know, I couldn't have really said it better myself, Ife. I think that often you see these taglines of it's the Ukrainian league, it's the French league, it's the Eredivisie, it's Brazil. You know, the word unproven is probably one of the most boring pieces of analysis that you ever see. You know, I can't stand it when someone says the words but he's unproven. How does it become proven? Well, usually it means moving to a better league and then by that point they're worth over 100 million and we don't want to really see them. You know, I reckon there are people out there saying that Jude Bellingham was unproven when he was playing at Birmingham. Well, you know, now we really aren't in any kind of market to be able to get him because we can't afford his wages. This whole unproven thing really gets on my nerves. (laughs) It really does. I think you need to just watch the player. And if you're, you know, if you're good enough at really understanding what a player's about and what you know ability of a player is, how they might fit into the team, just watch them enough. And I'm not talking about a YouTube compilation either. If you've got the resources to be able to watch the Ukrainian league, if you're able to use Y Scout or any kind of things where you can go back over individual clips, do it. And if you can't, maybe go and listen to the people that have been doing that, hear what they've got to say, and use their opinion uh, opinion to inform your own. That's the best way. But just flat out saying. They're unproven. They've only played in this league. They're this young. They've only played this amount of games. I don't really know how much credit that has, to be honest. I really don't. Um, Ashish says, uh, hi, Tom. I started watch- I started following your channel recently, and I've been really impressed. Thanks, mate. Um, I've seen other clubs like Liverpool, United, and Chelsea tying up players for over six-year contracts. Why are we not doing that? It's a fair question. I think that we are doing that, but we're doing it in kind of a different way. So we, you've probably just seen uh, Saliba's contract be activated with the option, the additional option in that contract. We're doing that quite a lot. And typically when you see those years of contracts reported, that is also the case. They're structured in a certain way where it's a four or five-year deal with a one or two-year option to extend on those contracts as well. It's a very new thing in the game. It's only been happening over the last five, six, seven years or so. Um, But uh, Arsenal are doing that. They are just adding these option clauses onto contracts. Yes, sure, we could try and get them on longer deals. And maybe if we were paying them more, they would. But Arsenal's wage structure is also something that restricts the amount of length of contract we can put on things. Because what it means is that, yes, it's a shorter amount of time, but it means we pay them less with the incentive that if they play well, we'll renew their contract sooner and then obviously give them a pay rise. Martinelli's contract right now runs through until, I think, 25-26 because it's got a two-year option on it and it runs out next year in 2024. But we've got a two-year option on that contract, which means that we could extend it to 2026. However, he would then be on the wage that he's been on for the entirety of that five years. That's not an incentive for him. So what Arsenal tend to do is sign lower option, lower year uh, yield contracts, lower the wage, and then promise of an improvement in their contract in a short period of time. You know, Martinelli only signed in 2020. I think Saka as well signed his new deal in 2022. So we're looking at two, three years later, a step up in wage rather than a step up in wage in five or six years' time. And I think that could be more attractive to the player. So I hope that gives you my opinion and an explanation on that one. Uh, Benjamin says, Tom, should we offer Marquinhos on a six-month loan to Shakhtar to sweeten the deal? Uh, It's not a bad idea. Uh, Also, we're spending a lot of time on one deal and other areas being neglected. Danilo's links have gone very quiet. The only issue that we have with that is obviously the situation in Ukraine. And I'm not sure whether or not players are too willing on moving to Ukraine at this moment in time. 
you know, that is just the reality of the situation. So I understand, and in any other kind of situation, I suppose, uh, in any other league and nation, it might work, um, but not maybe with this one. Uh, Marquinhos on his own, we absolutely should be looking to try and send him out on loan. The problem we have is that at the moment we're very light, you know, and until we bring in a winger, that is a little bit of the the stumbling blocks with this. Is we're very we're very light, you know. We only have Marquinhos and Vieira as offensive changes on our bench against Brighton. They were the only offensive changes we could make, and we didn't make either of them in the game. So that I think is something else that we are thinking about. Uh, Ronald says Bruno Gimaraes or Declan Rice. Bruno Gimaraes, I'd, I'd love that guy. I'm gutted that we missed out on him. He is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, really gutted we missed out on him. Uh, Safwan says, do you feel if we win the league, we go all guns blazing for the Champions League as we haven't won anything in Europe? I think that we will progress and we will work towards trying to do that. Arsenal are a club under Arteta that want to move forwards. They're a club that want to continue progressing. And winning the Premier League is obviously a massive statement of intent for this club. It wouldn't have been done through luck. It wouldn't have been the same kind of flukiness. And I know that's really disrespectful to Leicester's league win. But there, are, there, there is, if we're very honest, an element of flukiness about that Leicester City victory. It was great. They had a great team as well. They hadn't got any injuries across the whole season. The teams around them, like Man City, hadn't developed necessarily into the team that they are now. And other teams were just not firing on all cylinders that season. All things came together for that league title to happen. This season, Arsenal are winning on merit. Arsenal are winning with and beating big teams like Liverpool, like Chelsea away from home, like Spurs. Um, and we've now got Newcastle, of course, Manchester United again, and Spurs again in the next couple of weeks or so. We need to make sure that we are winning those games and proving ourselves. I just think that we are on a progression pathway, not this fluky one-off season. I think we are on a route that is going to see us hopefully competing at the top level in the long term. That's what I'm hoping. That's what I feel like I'm seeing and witnessing. I'm just hoping it now comes to fruition. Um, cool. Triangle says, uh, even if we signed Felix on a loan, what's the points if we aren't going to buy him in the summer? And if we buy him then... Do we really need that many right-footed wingers? I mean, he's not a winger. I know he can play on the wing, but I look him more as kind of that second strikery versatile option there. The reason why I like the deal is because I like a lot of the similarities to the Martin Odegaard loan. Uh, you know, we didn't sign him with an option or an obligation on that. And yes, he was available for a much lower fee, but we really benefited from that because he understood what Arsenal was all about. He then pushed for the move in the summer and that really helped. And ultimately that, you know that that I think with with Joao Felix anyway is is someone that can provide a lot of quality, and I think it helps consolidate our attacking options. Yes, we have a lot of right-footed wingers. We also have a lot of left-footed players. To be fair, you know Saka, Odegaard, Xhaka, Fabio Vieira. We have got a lot of left-footed players. Mudrik comes in as a right-footed player, but he's improving a lot on his left foot as well, and he's becoming nearly two-footed of the how good he's been on his left foot also. So, you know I. I'm not necessarily worried about the how many right footers or left footers we have. That's kind of secondary. I think that Gerard Felix, if the loan deal is financially sensible, is a very, very good one for Arsenal to consider with these six months remaining with the with you know with the the the, the season left. I think it would be a good one. Uh Jamian says, Tom, Mudrick feels like a signing we'd get after he made it at a bigger club. Is getting this early proof that we're becoming a much more attractive team for top talent? Um from the United States. Thank you so much for your time and for waking up so early for jumping on this morning's show. Uh, I think that it absolutely is, yes. Uh, I think there are obviously players that we've missed out on and we've seen go to other clubs because Arsenal have been unfortunately going through a period of 
austerity, I guess, you know, really, really painful periods of, of mediocrity. And we've had to build ourselves back up to the top so that we are in a, a position where players like Mudrick would be instantly attracted to moving to a club that's sitting at the top of the Premier League table. So, yes, I do think that we are putting ourselves into that place. Maybe that, like the Drew Bellingham example, maybe if we'd have been able to convince him he'd have got minutes and consistent time in the Champions League, like he did at Borussia Dortmund at an early age, we could have got him earlier, but it's. I think that ship has probably sailed, unfortunately, because the wages, as I mentioned. But Mudrick, let's get this deal done. Um, scrolling down a bit more, uh, Carl says, the loan market will soon come alive and we should be taking full advantage of every opportunity like our masterstroke on Erdegaard, maybe. It is with Ralph Felix that we do that. Um, Safwan says, do you feel if we win the league? Uh, oh, we've already done that one. Uh, that's, that's me answering questions that have been going on over and over again. Uh, so what? Uh, a Partey-like player uh, is important in case of a Partey injury, as important as a forward is in the summer. Uh, and we know that Partey's fitness has always been in question. Uh, it's always been something that's costing minutes in the team. And hopefully he remains fit for the rest of the campaign and beyond. What we need, obviously, is to try and find a player that is going to be able to compete in the future with him. I have said this for some time. I don't think you're going to be able to sign a player that is going to be able to compete with Partey immediately. I, I, I think it's near impossible for us to expect that. The only way that we ever do that is if we sign, say, Declan Rice, who would sit in the base of that midfield and take on that role for the long-term future. I don't know if we're going to be able to do that in the summer. So the next best option, especially in January, is to find a player that we think can develop into that player within the next two to three years. And there are potential players out there. The other player, maybe Ruben Neves is the other guy. But right now, I'm not sure whether or not that's the right move for us. But Declan Rice in the summer would be an interesting one to go for. Not fashionable, I know. And English players rarely are. But certainly, I think, would be an excellent piece of business if Arsenal were able to do that, having won a title. A bit of a statement signing from a Premier League rival, uh, an England international, that kind of level. You know, you, these kind of Man City-esque deals, you know, with the deals they've done for Walker or Phillips or uh, Grealish, you know, not maybe not to that financial level in terms of Grealish, but certainly one of those statement deals that the title, that the English Premier League champions type of signing, they type of make. Um, Wizard Weeb says, uh, I might be weird for this, uh, but if Shakhtar are reasonable and he ends up at Chelsea, I would feel good. Making sensible transfers is something that separates us. I really like Mitama. He's so silky. Uh, oh, aren't reasonable. I see what you're saying. So if they, you know, if Chelsea pay, let's say, 100 million, like Shakhtar say they want for, for uh, Madrid and he goes there, it would make you feel better about this situation. I'm going to be honest, it wouldn't make me feel good. I don't want to see a player that good playing for one of our rivals. I, I, I've, as I've said, I'm gradually kind of falling in love with his profile. I think he's brilliant. Um I think that Mitama is a, a fantastic player. I like him as well. He is 25. He is four years older than Mudrik. So you're losing out on four years of potential top-level play and development. And there is the case that his minutes at Brighton are still restricted and we are going off a smaller sample size, arguably, with him. But I like him a lot still. I think he'd be great at a top club. He's the type of player that I can see Spurs maybe buying. Um I'm not sure whether I see Arsenal City uh, buying him at the moment, but I certainly see one of the bigger, you know, top end big six, seven, maybe Newcastle, you know, going off a player like Mitama. Um, There you go. Um, Christian says, what's with some fans being salty about Martinelli not squaring it to Saka? I mean, not long ago, everyone was complaining about not shooting enough. He's been taking his chances. He's been very effective. I can't say I was salty about it. I certainly was willing him to pass it uh, in that moment in the game, in the stadium. I was, screaming for him to square it or not screaming because I would have alerted the uh, 
Brighton fans around me to my presence. But uh, I certainly was really going uh, to try and, and will him into passing that ball. He didn't and he finished. But if he misses it, you know, that comes into focus. He didn't. And that's what's key. So we can kind of forget about it and move on. But paying that extra pass, as a certain Ted Lasso would say, I think is uh, is always important. And the, the good thing about this one is I think that the Martin Odegaard pass goes down as an assist. Uh, maybe Martinelli felt that pass deserves to be known as an assist, not as a key pass or a second assist or whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, um, very happy uh, that he scored and that that pass goes down as one of the best assists in Premier League history. Not even joking. Uh, Asmarom says, Tom, this midfield substitution in the game of Brighton is very concerning, losing too much control of the game and chaos. Which player can we realistically improve the team? To be honest, uh, I don't read too much into the substitutions. We talked about it on yesterday's podcast. Things we we changed both our starting fullbacks and we changed our number six, and eventually we brought on a number. We brought on an extra centre back. I'm not too fussed about what happened during those subs because very rarely are we going to take off both of our starting fullbacks at the same time, at the same point in the game. We were three nil up at that point. We had enough of a cushion to be able to make that decision, and we had a game in three days' time now tomorrow against Newcastle. So. I am not concerned with what happened after that substitution at this moment in time. If it had happened and we'd have lost the game or drew the game, maybe we'd be talking about it differently, but we didn't. The reason why we made those choices was because we had to rest players ahead of the game against Newcastle, and that was important that we did that. And we were in a position in the game where we could afford to do that. Obviously, things weren't going to be as good as they were with the starting eleven on the field and with such big changes to the team, drastically changing kind of what had happened before that. There was always going to be a bit of a downward spiral. That was going to happen. It's a shame that we conceded the goals that we did. But in the end, we came out as winners. I'm not that fussed about those substitutions. I think maybe too much has been read into those subs on the day, personally. Um, let's scroll down to the bottom of the chat because I know I miss out on so many questions. So I don't do that enough. Um, let's go to Amira. says, is there a point when you're watching a player that you go, yeah, he know that that's the guy. Uh, it's seeing Martinelli and Odegaard doing the celebrations and not just running wild into the stands for me. I think that there is things outside of just what they do on the ball that makes you like players. You know, I love the way Martin Odegaard talks. I love the way that Bakaya Saka acts. I love the way that uh, Gabriel Martinelli is so innocently naive uh, about life. <laughs> There's something just there is something childish about Martinelli that I think is is. Um, you know, it's, it's quite lovable. Uh, and I think his clear passion for Arsenal that he's he's grown to just enjoy is kind of, I think he's become a bit of a fan of Arsenal in kind of that that childish way. That, that's really kind of endearing. Um, so yeah, there are things about players that you start to like. I love Xhaka's tenacity. I love his never say die attitude. I don't particularly like all of his personality traits and, and didn't previously, but there are certain characteristics about Xhaka that I do love about him. You know, there are other players in this team that I thought Ben White, I, I just love his deadpan interviews that he does. You know, I, I just love that satirical nature of his game. Why should we call you Benjamin? Because it's my name. You know, I just, I love that part of him. Some people don't. Some people can't deal with that tough personality. That's fine. You know, you do you. If that really makes you hate Ben White because of that, maybe that says more about you than him. But I think that Ben White is a great character. I look forward to hopefully speaking to him in the near future after one of the games, if he's had a fantastic opportunity in the game to play. You know, I think he's great. Um, and he's been performing brilliantly as well. And fair play to him. I love Gabriel. I love Saliba. I love Zinchenko's attitude and just madness. There is something about these players, Amira, you're right, where you're watching them and go, 
yeah, they're the guys that need to be playing at Arsenal. They are the ones that we need in this group. And there's a reason why we kept them and we outed the likes of Lacazette and Aubameyang. And, you know, Lacazette's probably made too harsh to say that. But I think that ultimately we needed players like Aubameyang, really, Ozil, Socrates, Kalasinac, Mustafi. We need players out of the club. We needed to make sure the players that we had were, A, good enough to be here, and B, in the right frame of mind to do what we needed. And... I think we're in a position now we're doing that. Do you remember the old, like, the, the Ozil wars on social media? They are dead, buried, forgotten, over. I can appreciate all the good things that Ozil did, you know, but we are in a much better place now without him. And, you know, I think that Odegaard has the potential, potentially, to become a player that has all of the great things that Ozil had with his vision and his quality of passing, but his leadership, his tenacity, his pressing, his energy, his expectation, his drive... I, I really, really like Odegaard. You know, that's why he's in the back of what I perceive to be one of the greatest Arsenal shirts ever made, this season's away kit. And I think that that is a great thing. It, you know, it sounds really boring way to end that monologue, but I think that's a great thing. I, I, thanks for the question, Amir. I think it was a great one. Um, Trevor says, I like what I'm seeing at Arsenal this season. I hope all these, all those against Mikel Arteta, uh, Rambo, uh, Ben White and Martin Odegaard have all come around or 100% behind him. I do too. You know, and I put this out on a tweet yesterday and I was tempted to do a show actually kind of looking back on some of the silly opinions that I've had and things that I've changed my mind on because there was a video that came up from TalkSport um, and it was Laura talking about um, Martin Odegaard and talking about the fact that you know, does he really look like a £34 million player? You may have seen it doing the rounds on social media yesterday. And now when we look back on that a year, two years later, you know, it looks silly to have said that because he looks like an amazing player. And to be honest, I think we bought him for about the right price. I think for the, the performances that he put in during that six-month loan spell, arguably maybe he didn't even put in the performances of that other £34 million player. You could see that the, 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 the gems of, of what we wanted from him were there. But he only got a goal or two, if that. He only got an assist or two, if that, during that six-month loan spell. You had to really look beyond just the raw goal statistics and the assist statistics to see what was capable of Odegaard then. But the price tag maybe was slightly more than what people were expecting for him. But he's developed into an amazing player since then. But the fact that Laura was being, you know, kind of a bit laughed at for that opinion back then because it looked so silly in the context of 2023... I just don't kind of, I don't really get that. I, I don't I don't really get that. The only time I'd ever really look back on opinions in the past with any kind of real criticism is if they were abusive and disrespectful, of which there's been plenty around Mikel Arteta and Odegaard and the team. There's been loads out there. You know, you don't have to go far to find an abusive or disrespectful opinion about Arsenal in the last four years. That's the type of um stuff that I can absolutely see criticism. But you know, if, if it makes sense at the time, you know, I was really angry and that's why I wanted to do this show, really angry about us not getting Emi Buendia because I was at that time thinking, I think he would have been a really good competitor for us on that right-hand side to, to Bakaya Saka and the fact that we allowed Aston Villa of all teams with, with respect, but I just think they're a team that were really trying to out us at times, you know, and the fact that we lost out to them, that was painful, you know. Um, the fact that I wanted uh, Mikel Arteta and I couldn't see a way forward for Mikel Arteta after the Villarreal defeat. You know, in the moment, the way we think about things is very different to how we look back on them a year or two or even a week later, you know, at some point. Sometimes you look back on an opinion you had a week later because something's happened within the week since then and you think, boy, I, I was wrong. I was really silly to have that view back then. And I know I look back on a lot of things I've said and, and done, you know, on the channel and think, 
yeah, I'm not really happy about that opinion that I had back then, and I've changed my mind. Um, so there you go. Uh, Olu says, I don't agree, Tom. These pundits don't do enough research. Gary Neville is a classic example of that. We can expect them to be better at their jobs and do some research. Look, I think there's a difference between having an opinion that at the time has some credence and having an opinion that is purely designed to instigate reaction and to just be controversial. You know, um, I watched the video the other day of, of Robbie on his channel saying that De Bruyne isn't world-class. I really struggled with watching that video and I thought, I sat back and I, and I watched that video and I thought, I hope that I don't get into a position where I feel as though my opinion is just for a reaction. And I'm sorry, and if I've got that wrong, Robbie, I apologise, but I could not help but feel as though that that point of view was just to cause a bit of a storm. And I hope that you guys listening to this tell me if I ever say something where you think, oh, he's just saying that to get a reaction. Because I don't want to be in that position. I really don't want to be in a position where I'm saying something where I feel it's just to create a, a big storm. And I, I get that there's pressures, you know. I reckon there's pressures to for numbers or whatever. I get there's pressures for, for attention. Sometimes I don't really know why. Um but if you ever feel as though I'm saying something, which is just to try and get a reaction, um, there you go. Big white clock in the chat box. Important to say that rightly. Uh, says, you disrespect Southgate all the time. I don't think I disrespect Southgate by saying that I don't think that we are maximizing the potential of the England national team with Southgate as the head coach. I don't know what's disrespectful about that. Being disrespectful is not being critical. There's a difference between the two. There's a, dis, there's, a, there's a line between what is critical and what is disrespectful. There is a very clear line for me between those two points of view. And to be honest, I don't think anything I've said is disrespectful to Southgate. But feel free to quote me with something I've said that you think is disrespectful. But I don't think being critical is disrespectful. I think being abusive, saying saying calling players funny names you know that's disrespectful you know that that is disrespectful <laughs> but being critical is very very different but yeah I, I i've watched a few videos i think gary neville has fallen into this trap as well i really hope robbie doesn't fall into the trap in the long term and it's kind of a one-off thing because i think you know uh it'd be a shame uh if, if the biggest you know arsenal content producer at the moment was falling into that trap um, because I think they've done some really good stuff at AFTV to try and change things of the opinion of AFTV around. So it'd be a shame if that was to happen. But I think with with Gary Neville, I, 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 the part with Gary Neville, I think, is ultimately affected by a lot of the abuse that you get from Arsenal fans, which is a shame. You know, if you disagree with what someone said, even if they're coming up with a view to be reactive or spontaneously disruptive to you, you know, try and avoid sending them abuse abuse because that's not going to help them get out of that. That's not going to help them think, oh, you know what? Yeah, maybe I was wrong about that. And I'm actually going to come out and hold my hands up and be a big person about it and say, I got that wrong. I was wrong about that. I remember when he did the thing on Sky where I think it was Pippa was in the crowd. Um, and uh, what was it that was said? Uh, he said, um, he said that, Arteta could get to fourth and that would be the maximum that he could do with that team. Um, and I remember watching that and thinking, if that's what you genuinely think, then you've A, not been listening to a single word that Arteta has been saying, not a single word that Arteta has been saying about um, what he wants to do 
with um, with the club. You've not been watching what Arsenal are doing behind the scenes, and you're not paying attention to the the strategy. And I remember, obviously, that we all remember the, the Brentford game and Arteta talking about the lack of strategy and talking about Ben White and the way that he did. We all remember that. Um, but it's, it is frustrating, but I do have some sympathy because I think, unfortunately, there are Arsenal fans out there that have abused Gary Neville into a position where he doesn't want to really change his mind about Arsenal. So there, there is, on my part, some sympathy, I think. Um, and maybe that's also there. Uh, Carragher did a really good interview the other day where he talked about how he kind of would like to see Arsenal win the league. And obviously that makes us want to like him more. You want to see ex-players of other teams come out and say that they, you know, they you want, they want to win the league. You want to see that. That's great. That makes us feel great. And I'm not saying that he had a good interview just because he said that. I think that some of the things that Carragher has said, you know, not everything he's done. You know, there's, there's things that he's done in his past that we all know very well about that he shouldn't have done, that he's come out and apologised for. Um, and I'm all, all for apologies, don't get me wrong. I'm all for second chances um, if they're willing to change. But Carragher, what he said the other day about uh, Arsenal and how, how he kind of would like to see them win the title, I think it's because we've done it the right way. I think that we're doing it in the right way. I think everything that we're trying to achieve is being done in the right way. So, yeah, I'm very happy uh, as an Arsenal fan right now. I hope that we see less of these kind of, um, what's the word, provocative I suppose it's a good word to describe it as opinions. Um, but Christopher, I probably agree with you. Gary Neville is coming across quite stubborn at the moment, probably more so than Wenger. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, please do let me know. Uh, I was curious um, uh, from our uh, chat. Fair enough, says Clock uh, in the chat box. He's taken us further than anyone since Sir Alf wanting him out is tripe. Um Again, my view is based on the fact that I think a better coach than him takes the group of players that we've had during his tenure further. I think we should have won the Euros. I think the fact that we didn't win the Euros is a failure, an underachievement. I think the not getting to the World Cup final in 2018 uh, was also a failure because we should have beaten Croatia in that semi-final. And I do ultimately think that we, we could have gone further in this tournament maybe as well. France, who... Lost, obviously, in the final. I don't think we're at their best this tournament. Still managed to get to the final. And we were better than them on the day. And maybe a better coach would have would have got us over the line on this one as well. So there you go. Yeah, I, I think that's fair, Christopher. I said, I think the criticism of Southgate is more constructive than it is um, abusive or disrespectful. So there you go. Anyway, um, thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. Really appreciate your time, as always. Do drop a like on the video. Do subscribe to the channel if you're new. Uh, and I'll be back this evening uh, with a preview for the Newcastle game. So do tune in for that. Uh, very much looking forward to having a chat with our members in the Discord server about the game against Newcastle tomorrow. Uh, and yeah, that'll be at 6pm UK time. So do tune in a little bit later. Drop a like before you go. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. And as always, up the Arsenal. It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your delivery. You in? At participating restaurants 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.